breaker one, breaker one might be crazy, but I ain't dumb. Crazy cooter coming at you. Hey, fast line, fast track. Y'all got your ears on out there? John Beard to New Holland. Just look at the load I'm hauling. Hard work, I hit it harder. Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer. Sun up to sundown. Backing up traffic all the way to town. Camo hat and a farmer's tan. Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Welcome to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track. It's great to have you with us. This week, we're talking weed control and another round of federal pandemic aid for farmers. We'll hear about a new integrated tractor and planter solution and new spring technology from John Deere. Jesse Allen is talking cash basis in this week's Market Talk report. The hot rod farmer Ray Bohax is talking slow starting engines in this week's Bushels and Scents. And we hear the music of rising country star Emily Miller. You won't want to miss a moment of this one. Let's go. Well, first up this week on Fast Line Fast Track, John Deere recently unveiled what's being billed as the industry's first factory-installed integrated tractor and planter solution. So today we wanted to bring in John Deere Marketing Manager Kevin Jewell and Ryan Jarden, Manager of Product Marketing for Large Tractors, to discuss this innovation. And gentlemen, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Hey, thanks for having us. So John Deere has updated its model year 2022 planners to respond to those farmers who have asked for a solution for applying high rates of fertilizer at planting while making few stops to fill and tender as possible. And those planters are part of a factory installed integrated exact rate solution that eliminates the need for add-on tanks and, and custom plumbing solutions and multiple suppliers. So we're talking about a new planter which has a 30% larger seed tank capacity than previous models paired with this 8RX tractor and integrated rates. So when you combine all this, you're talking about a planting solution that can increase capacity, minimize soil compaction, and precisely place that seed and fertilizer, potentially leading to higher yields, time saved, and more money in a producer's pocket. So Kevin, tell us about the work that went into developing these planters in a way that meets this customer demand. Right, Brett. So the customers have uh, been asking to get more out of each planter pass each year. And so, so to really do that, um, we've addressed, you know, uh, some of the pain points that those customers would frequently bring up. You mentioned the com- uh, capacity, right? Capacity leads to longer run times. That means less time tendering the equipment, more time actually planting. And that means more seeds placed in that optimal seeding window, which everyone knows can lead to the best yield result. So increasing those capacities allows for that longer runtime. Mm-hmm. And we did that not only on the seed side of things, we also added a, a larger liquid capacity. So on our 1775 models, we went from 450 to 600 gallons and paired that up with 130 bushel CCS tank. So we're going to allow for a customer to do a higher rate of nitrogen with this as well. So pair that up with the 600 gallons on the planter, 1000 gallons on the tractor. We're, we're saying you can do 20 gallons per acre and that'll allow for an 80 acre field to be done before you have to stop and tender that equipment. So this is going to, again, lead to more timely planting and longer run times, higher efficiency out of the planter. So getting more out of that planter pass. You also mentioned the ability to carry that weight across the field. And that's critical for a varying degree of uh, soil conditions as higher compaction, mainly on that mainframe, that planter will 
um, compact that soil around it, which leads to ununiform emergence, which ununiform emergence can lead to anywhere from 10 to 18 bushels per acre difference in variation across the planter bar. So as you make pass to pass to pass, those mainframe rows don't have the same chance to uh, capture nutrients, capture oxygen, water throughout the soil. They're going to emerge at a slower rate and thus become their neighbors are going to kind of shade them out eventually over time as that grows. So if we're able to minimize that compaction and allow those seeds the same chance to emerge as their neighboring plants, we're going to have uniform emergence across that board by decreasing the amount of compaction that our equipment's uh, taken over the field. And we should mention like the 8RX uh, four-track tractor, which we featured here on the show before, these planters can be outfitted with factory installed tracks, uh, which John Deere's testing has shown to improve flotation and reduce ground pressure by up to 73% fully loaded uh, to 13.3 PSI. And that's especially important in these areas with soil conditions that are prone to greater compaction. Yeah, certain areas are, are more prone to that compaction, especially in, in wetter springs or or soils that aren't well drained and it's going to allow that to, to maybe get into the field a day or two earlier that they couldn't have and, and hit that planting window again a little better carrying that um, added weight of those increased capacities more evenly across the soil is going to be a huge win one of the big big customer pain points um, specifically around planter applied fertilizer too as customers um, want to plant more acres throughout that time but the, the capacity was limiting so they added more weight to the tractor more weight to the planter and all this uh, kind of just compacted their soil. So what was an advantage agronomically by doing planter applied fertilizer kind of had some agronomic, um, I guess, uh, negative side effects to that. And so by spreading out the compaction, we kind of make it the total agronomic solution where customers are able to apply those higher rates with those higher capacities and expand their footprint so they're not getting that negative side effect of that added compaction. And Ryan, we know that multiple independent studies have shown that fertilizer applied at the time of planting provides the best opportunity for plant health on time maturity and increased bushels per acre. So uh, you're checking a lot of boxes here. Yeah, that was just what I was going to mention. Um, you know, this is a lot of the reason why we developed the ARX uh, a couple of years ago was that it had kind of the best of both worlds from a tractor standpoint. So it's got the ability to, to turn like a wheel tractor, but also pulls and floats like a track tractor, if you will. So uh, that ARX has uh, the ability yeah, to put its power to the ground, but also has a, a wide footprint uh, to carry that extra weight. Uh, which then of course improves flotation and reduces the impact for uh, compaction. So, you know, with that 8RX, uh, as Kevin mentioned, we've, we've now got uh, the ability to carry a thousand gallons of fertilizer right there on the tractor uh, with some integrated exact rate fertilizer tanks. And so, you know, many customers today would have used aftermarket or third-party tanks to carry high rates of fertilizer uh, on board the, the total solution. And so we've, we've enabled that to kind of not have to have them bolt those tanks on, take them on and off at the end of the season or beginning of the season. Uh, now those tanks are completely integrated into the machine. Visibility and entry and egress from the cab, entry and exit from the cab are, are top notch. Uh, those tanks really don't inhibit, you know, visibility or the way the tractor looks at all it's uh it's a really clean design there with those so we're we're trying to enable uh what customers were telling us they wanted to do which is then you know apply higher rates of fertilizer planting and we we're trying to make it 
easier for them to do that and uh, to not inhibit the, the rest of their operation. When we talk about saving time, because time is money here and consistency is still vitally important. And John Deere made sure that this product delivers uh, when half full of a track, uh, equip planners can maintain and transport a uh, speed of about 20 miles an hour for up to two hours. So you can get a lot done there. Yeah, I'm not sure. The planner track side of things, that's that's the best in the industry from a track's perspective. So the the huge benefit of that compaction, which we addressed earlier, is paired up with the ability to transport half full seed, half full liquid fertilizer, and really get from field to field. And, and thus, the, the overall goal is to put more seeds in the ground in that optimal planting window, which those increased transport capacities of these tracks allow customers to do. And Ryan, coordination and execution of the planting operation can be done through the John Deere Operations Center, which lets farmers... Uh, monitor the farm from anywhere, analyze the machine and agronomic data and share information with advisors. So there's no guesswork here. Yep, absolutely. So any customer has access to the John Deere Operations Center. You don't have to buy a new tractor or planter uh, to have access to the Operations Center and take advantage of all the, the tools that are there for, for a customer to use. So we certainly invite everybody to go to uh, my John Deere and create an account if they don't have one and then therefore start using that uh, online tool for their their agronomic data management and um, analysis, things like that. You know, and in the cab operators can monitor the fertilizer and seed rate data on the Gen 4 display being streamed in real time there through a JD Link connection uh, to the operations center. And then you've also got the Connect mobile app, which can be used on a tablet to compare current data uh, to historical data and also there's a field analyzer tool that you can use here toward the end of the season to study your seed variety and fertilizer performance post-harvest so uh, just a lot of options to really get granular with this data and, and uh, just improve from year to year yeah so all of our large ag equipment uh, including tractors come factory equipped with uh, the ability to do precision ag and precision ag is just a part of what you get when you get a new john deere machine so the machines come with an integrated receiver, integrated display. You mentioned the JD Link connection. So the machines are always uh, equipped to do the highest level of precision ag right out of the factory that a customer would want to do. So we've, again, tried to make it as easy and seamless uh, as possible for a customer to do just that. Well, I tell you what, Kevin, let's break down this planter pass technology a little bit here because there are a lot of features here that, uh, that really bear going a little deeper on. Right, Brett. So along with customers asking for more out of their planter pass, they're also asking to do more digitally and, and document more of what they're actually doing in the field so they can get that analysis and, and know that what they're doing can make a difference for their future. And so one of those new features we have is when we talk um, when we talk planter pass specifically, we can do um, a new feature from um, using our, our receiver technology use auto called AutoPath. Excuse me. It's called AutoPath. What we have there is a receiver on the tractor, receiver on the planter, and we're able to document each individual rows um, placement in the field. And what we can do there is take for future passes, the ideal tracks and got map out the guidance lines for that future implement going across the field. So if it's a nitrogen toolbar doing some side dressing or, or sprayer pass, or even the combine pass at the end of the year, a customer will have the confidence to know that they're going down the optimal path with that combine sprayer or nitrogen toolbar um, on their future passes. And all that's enabled by that planter pass. A couple other features to call out when you put that receiver on the planter, you can get auto track um, turn automation, which will allow them to focus more on the planting job at hand. Look at the displays in their cab rather than focus on, on the headland turns. 
And the other um, piece of that is auto track implement guidance. So what this is going to do is even, even in the fields that have very little uh, slopes to them, the planter will drift off center a little bit from the tractor line. But if we put a receiver on that planter, the tractor will correct that and drive it right on center. So you know that you're getting to the exact line you need to be. This is going to be a huge benefit for, for terrace farming and, and slope farming customers. So all those uh, integrated solutions really make the ability to document what you're doing with the planter um, that much more advanced and, and really what the customers are asking for out of the system. Well, we know that planting doesn't always happen exclusively between sunup and sundown. And, and John Deere has thought of something for that, too. You know, you've got a factory installed option, uh, which is a premium LED lighting package that helps farmers continue to run well into the night. Yeah, the LED lights was a customer delighter, we call it, um, something they've been asking for. And, and we can put on the planter bar, which will allow, you know, more confidence in low light planting situations. And, and ultimately, it comes down to to that getting more seeds down in the optimal planting window. It also will have a lot of service capabilities to, to when you're out there making sure that maintaining the rows are, are doing the job that you're asking them to do. Those lights will enable you to, to see what you're doing. And then when you're tendering in those late hours, too, the, the extra light is always welcome in those situations. Well, I know this has piqued a lot of people's curiosity. And John Deere is going to begin taking orders for these models for the 22 uh, model year planters this summer. And uh, the planters and tractors are sold separately. Uh, so, again, make sure you get to your John Deere dealer. Head to johndeere.com and check all those out. And again, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Brett. Thank you. And now we want to bring in Joel Basinger, who's the go-to-market manager for nutrient application with John Deere. And he's our go-to guy for all things John Deere sprayers. And we wanted to bring him in to talk about some new sprayer introductions. And Joel, welcome back to Fast Line Fast Track, my friend. Thanks, Brent. I appreciate uh, getting back on with you and uh, chatting through some of these new sprayers. Well, I tell you, a lot to talk about these days. John Deere has been busy in the sprayer department. First of all, I want to highlight the all-new lineup of Haggy self-propelled STS-12, STS-16, and STS-20 sprayers. All been engineered to help farmers manage tight operating windows and challenging field conditions at various crop stages. And Joel, John Deere really went from stem to stern on these things and updated just about everything but the front spray boom. Exactly. That's what I, I really like to describe it as, everything but the boom has been redesigned and, and really focused on how do we integrate some of the great things John Deere has, some of the technology that we have, but also keep a lot of the innovations that Haggy's been known for, that, that front-facing boom, their, their balanced weight split, all-wheel steer. But really, you know, overall, a really great sprayer. And we say, you know, if, if you need to enter the field any day, and that's what we really focus on in this Haggy sprayer line. Well, and that's important because uh, not, not only uh, in the drought conditions like many folks are experiencing right now, but also even in the damp applications, uh, you can get out there with a peace of mind of knowing that uh, you're not going to be causing uh, any extra complications for yourself. Right, right, exactly. So that's what that, that nice weight split that we're maintaining on this allows us to do, you know, spreading the overall weight across the machine. You mentioned the STS-20, which is our 2,000 gallon option which is new for this product line. It's which will be our largest um, row crop sprayer, but we're still able to maintain that weight split. And really with, you know, you can put a float tire on there and, and be lighter than some of our competitors that uh, don't have that same uh, weight split. So um, we redesigned the whole frame, redesigned the suspension, um, allowing uh, better steering, better visibility out of the cab. 
So to maintain, you know, if we're late season uh, uh, corn uh, nitrogen application, stay on that row. You know, we have that John Deere technology in there, like the auto track row sense and vision to keep us on that row, keep us from running over a uh, uh, corn. Um, integrated Starfire receivers on the cab. So they're calibrated, ready to go from the get go. So just really integrating all those uh, great features that uh, customers see on our John Deere sprayers now, uh, basically standard in uh, many other options, Brent, but I know we want to, I can't go into all the details because it's front to back, but. Well, I tell you what, I want to, I do want to dissect some of them here. I want to dive into some of them, uh, taking a look yeah. first of all at the front boom placement on the STS sprayers, which reduces the need for operators to constantly have to turn around and look behind them uh, during the application, which I know is going to make for a, a few less stiff necks and a few more happy farmers. Right, right. So, you know, it gives them the ability to see all of those nozzle bodies across the way, you know, see what's happening uh, with the system. Um, you know, one, uh, one thing people uh, discuss is, you know, I'm driving into my spray, but we've got options like that. You know, if you're in a high crop situations, we actually have a, a, a boom we can put on the back. So you can such, shut those front nozzle bodies off in the front and have them go just right in front of the cab and then have them going in the back. So we're getting good coverage, even in those high crop situations. But the biggest thing on the boom is the new exact apply nozzle body control system which we introduced uh, on John Deere sprayers in 2017. And that's that individual nozzle control so we can shut on and off uh, individual nozzles. So section control, but gives us the pulse width modulation to maintain that pressure and maintain that droplet size. So reducing the chances of drift and, and making sure we're getting the right chemical concentration at the right spot at the right time. Well, and that all moves to this whole strategy of going from the whole field uh, right down to the single plant, doesn't it? Exactly. So, you know, if you if you think about technology and how we've managed our fields, we, we started out on a field by field basis. And then over time, we moved to zones, you know, using variable rate and, and section control. And a few years ago with our exact apply and exact emerge planners, we started going by row by row. And now with, we're moving on to the next stages uh, with some of our scene spray to really go on plant by plant. So, um, Exact Apply allows Haggy to do the row by row now and just gives them that flexibility. So let's dissect this whole spraying system, Jill. The solution tank is located at the center of the sprayers you were talking about earlier to balance the weight of the machine, whether full or empty. And you have three sizes of tank available. The 2000 gallon tank for the STS 20 uh, allows the sprayer to work uh, longer between fills. And, uh, you know, we, we also mentioned uh, less rutting in the field and, and, and going through damp conditions. Then you move on to the boom. The STS sprayer features the Haggy hybrid booms in four different widths, 90, 100, 120, and 132 feet. And, uh, you know, build as being strong and versatile and lightweight. And, and you've got that active wing roll technology by NORAC that uh, controls that height. And, and when you put that with that 76-inch uh, clearance, it, it gives you a lot of flexibility there, doesn't it? It really does. And, and all of those add to uh, productivity in the field. So, you know, a wide boom, a light footprint, how many, and a big tank allows customers to spray more acres without having to sit on on the side row tendering and then making sure we're getting that correct rate on the target, whether it be an insect or a plant. So, you know, that's what the active wing roll and, you know, the overall boom stability gives us. So just really trying to, to 
allow the machine to do the best job it can applying that uh, herbicide or insecticide, fungicide, whatever they're trying to accomplish. Well, you talk about that critical time management and, uh, you know, with with, uh, power spray technology, you've got that fast up to 300 gallon per minute fill plus the uh, auto prime and onboard mixing. So you're not wasting time sitting on the sidelines trying to get things done when you really need to be in the field. Exactly. So, you know, as they're loading that machine, they can use that 300-gallon pump to to pull on a lot of that chemical quickly. Uh, we we automate using our solution control system the the valves, how they open and close. If you're if you're loading chemical through the inductor and all that, so again, spending less time, uh, you know, tendering more time in the field spraying. So just adding all those features, all those options, um, just to make our customers be as productive as they possibly can. Also, we talk about pressure recirculation and optional system air purge technology, which can improve job quality and simplify the cleanout process uh, while reducing your product waste. Tell us a little bit more about that. Exactly, that, that's a technology that's uh, been around for a little while, but we're now bringing it over onto the, the Haggy uh, sprayer and the John Deere sprayer. Um, it allows the, after you've loaded up the chemical in the machine, you can use that boom research to basically prime the whole boom. So we know that the concentration of the chemical at that furthest nozzle away is exactly what you uh, meant it to be. So we don't have any streaking issues. We don't have any under application, anything like that. And then at the end of the day, if you're ready to clean out the boom or maybe you're wanting to switch chemicals, that boom air purge and reclaim allows us to push all that chemical back into the tank. So we're reclaiming it. We're not having to spray it off somewhere. You know, we can store it either for the next day or, you know, for the next application. So uh, allowing us to reclaim that chemical and not waste it. One of my favorite things to talk about is power. And each SDS sprayer is equipped with a John Deere PowerTech 9 liter engine, which varies from 300 horsepower on the STS-12 to 400 horsepower on the STS-16 and the STS-20, which also has dual turbos. Right, right. Lots of power. So the great thing is, is we manage that power electronically. So as the machine needs it, we can give it the power. If uh, if it you know needs uh, horsepower for cooling, you know, we've got a variable speed cooler to keep the engine cool. So we manage that power. So we're not just throttling up and you know burning diesel. We we have intelligence within that John Deere engine, so we can make sure that we have the power when we need it. But then we're also uh, maintaining that efficiency. So. Uh, I think customers are really going to notice that extra power when they get out there and hit one of those hills and they're able to maintain that speed, which, you know, lines up with that uh, um, spray accuracy. If we can maintain our speed, we're maintaining that right rate. Well, part of that power management is also traction control. And you've got the command drive technology, which monitors and compensates for wheel slippage. So, uh, again, working all in concert to give you the biggest bang for the buck there. Exactly, exactly. Again, it's all about efficiency. Let's make them efficient. Well, I want to move briefly into the cab, which is available in two comfort and convenience packages with LED lighting options. And man, I like the sounds of this ultimate package, which has a heated, (laughs) ventilated, massaging leather seat that can swivel up to 16 degrees to the right or to the left, a six and a half inch touchscreen satellite and smartphone ready radio for USB ports, a 12-volt outlet, footrest, dual-tilt steering column, and refrigerator. And what that tells me is that, hey, self-propelled sprayer, long day in the field, smartphone ready. You can spend your day spraying and listening to Fastline Fast Track. I mean, this is perfect. Man, that, that sounds like a great idea, Brent. I mean, this cab is nicer than my office, so uh, I would rather be out there doing that than uh, sitting behind my computer. So really focusing on 
making those long days as comfortable as we can for the customer. So, you know, when we have that window to spray, we have to be able to get in there. We're going to spend long hours, long days doing it. We don't want customers uh, uh, not wanting to get in their sprayer. We want them to be able to be comfortable and just really adding those features. Um, if, and if anybody's seen the new X9 combine cab, this is 90% the same. Little colors, little displays are the difference, but if they've had that experience, uh, really pulling that same cab over onto the Haggy sprayer. Well, as we talked about with your colleagues earlier about the planters and the uh, and the tractors, we should also mention that each STS sprayer comes with a JD Link connection, plus an integrated Starfire 6000 receiver, Gen 4 command center display, and auto track guidance. So you're getting all the best in John Deere technology there to uh, really, really uh, not only manage uh, what, what you're putting down, but also to, to gather that all-important data uh, that, that can be parsed to help you to figure out how to do your job better. Well, exactly. You know, customers have come to expect precision technology within these machines, and, and we're just adding that as base, you know. Everything you mentioned, and, and it's there at their fingertips, and then they have the option to share that data. You know, with their agronomists, we have the ability, that agronomist can be sitting 40 miles away send him a prescription to the cab and it just pops up and he's ready to go. And then he's got all that information documented, uh, wind speed, direction, all of that uh, at his fingertips for you know later in the year or next year we're planning, trying to see what we're, we're wanting to do. So just all that record and all that information available to, to him, to his dealer, to uh, his agronomist, however he wants to share that data. And it should be noted that John Deere will begin taking orders for the new Haggy sprayer this June. And if you're interested, head on over to thejohndeere.com, haggy.com, or your local John Deere dealer to learn more. But now I want to shift gears and discuss another innovation, seat and spray select technology, which can be used on a John Deere sprayer to minimize input costs and only spray weeds where they're detected. And that, in turn, is going to allow farmers to use expensive and more complex tank mixes more effectively and efficiently and put more money back into their pockets. Yeah, seed spray select is really exciting technology. Uh, you know, we, we've seen the industry going this way. We, we talked about the uh, plant by plant uh, management, and it's really our first step in our seed and spray journey. So if you look at this, this is for fallow ground, you know, some of our small grains customers that maybe in your cement area re regions that have fallow in their rotation, they're spraying three, four times, trying to keep those weeds down to, to not lose that precious soil moisture in those areas. So, um, you know, focusing on that green weed on that brown background. So uh, you know, taking care of, and we're seeing on average 77% uh, reduction in that contact herbicide, in that pre-emerge uh, herbicide, taking care of those weeds. So really uh, reducing your overall chemical uh, bill by that much opens it up. So if you have some weeds that have some uh, um, resistance to, to chemicals, maybe you can add a, a different tank, com tank mix you know, more co complexity there to take care of those really tough weeds. You can be more aggressive with them for sure. And I want you to put on your professor hat here for just a moment, if you could here, <laughs> and kind of, kind of break down this technology for us. How, how does it work? Okay, so so it, you, you get it um, uh, uh, installed on a normal John Deere 400, 600 series sprayer. So it, it's, it's just an attachment that goes on that's installed at the factory. Um, you start out with... Um, cameras, you've got a camera about every three feet across the boom. So 190 foot, 120 foot uh, steel boom. Um, as you're driving through the field in sea and spray mode, it'll, uh, it's scanning about 2000 square feet every second. If it sees a weed, 
We've got processors on the machine that identify that. And then it goes out and uses our same exact applied technology, the individual nozzles, activates just that nozzle or maybe the two nozzles right above that weed. So we're spraying just the weed. Does all that in right about 200 milliseconds. So kind of like the blink of an eye. And, and really all the customer has to do is, is turn on see and spray uh, mode within the cab and everything else is done automatically. And this is built on the John Deere Exact Apply Foundation and can be equipped on the model year 22 and newer John Deere 400 and 600 sprayers, which include the 408R, the 410R, the 412R, the 612R, and the 616R. And we should note C and Spray Select can be ordered beginning this summer. In the meantime, you can learn more about it by heading to johndeere.com forward slash C and spray or by stopping by your local John Deere dealer. And Joel, as always, it's great to see you. I'm looking forward to seeing you in person at a farm show sometime soon. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Brent. I appreciate the time today. Again, we've been talking with Joel Basinger with John Deere. Chandler Equipment. For 51 years, Chandler Equipment has been manufacturing excellence. The finest quality in pull type and truck mount fertilizer lime spreaders and litter spreaders, fertilizer tenders, seed tenders, and litter conveyors. They also sell a full line of Raven Industries Precision Ag products. To find out more about the full Chandler product line or to find a Chandler Equipment dealer near you, visit ChandlerEquipment.net or give them a call at 800-243-3319. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, it's once again time to start thinking about those pesky weeds. And many growers might not think weeds are a factor that can have an impact on corn yield, but Dean Grossnickel, agronomy service representative with Syngenta, says higher yield potential really starts with early season weed control. Grossnickel says weeds that emerge with the corn plant have an impact on its health. These weeds do impact corn in a lot of different ways, but weeds present at corn emergence are an immediate source of stress and cause corn to enact a series of defensive measures. Corn stalks will grow taller and also those weeds will grow wider to better compete for sunlight, which will also reject the sun's rays. Additionally, corn leaves grow parallel to the row versus out into the row to avoid competing directly for sunlight. Unfortunately, really this uh, alignment is not optimal for absorbing sunlight and these changes can negatively impact yield over time and may not be able to overcome that with a post-emergence weed control. Further, Dr. Bill Johnson, professor of weed science at Purdue University says loss of nitrogen to weeds can have an impact on yield. It's really important early in the year to have clean fields when the corn comes up because there's two things that happen. Number one, it's competing for nutrients and water. So most of the time in the Eastern Corn Belt, we have wet springs and so the moisture is not an issue. However, you do have that competition for nitrogen. It only takes about 10 pounds or so of nitrogen in the above ground biomass to see an effect of corn yield on the end of the year if supplemental nitrogen is not applied. If supplemental nitrogen is applied, many times you can overcome that early season competition for nitrogen. For corn growers looking to control tough weeds and maximize their yield potential, Grossnickel recommends Acuron herbicide by Syngenta. Typically, when we're thinking about maximizing our yield potential, one of the best products that Syngenta has to offer is Acuron. Acuron provides a powerful combination of highly effective broad-spectrum weed control, plus really proven crop safety. Acuron contains four active ingredients, including the unique component bicyclopyrone, and three effective sites of action, a group 5, 15, and 27. 
What really makes it unique is this bicyclopyrone helps Acuron provide built-in burn down, greater consistency, and powerful weed control, and a long-lasting residual. It gives us that work on these large-seeded broadleafs. When applied pre-emergence at full-labeled rate, replicated Syngenta and University trials show Acuron outyields the competitors by 5 to 15 bushels per acre. And that's really because we're taking care of those large-seeded broadleafs, preserving that yield, have no injury to that corn crop, and that long-lasting residual, keeping that field clean. To find out what an extra 5 to 15 bushels an acre with Acuron corn herbicide could mean for your revenue potential, try the online calculator at findmorebushels.com or talk to your local Syngenta retailer. And we want to thank the NAFB News Service and Syngenta for that audio. And sticking with weeds this week, Palmer amaranth is a highly invasive species that is spreading like wildfire across the United States. It's hard to distinguish from pigweed until it's almost too late. It's very resistant to several herbicide options, but not completely immune. The trick is early detection before it has a chance to go to seed. The University of Minnesota has partnered with Colorado State University on developing a new test to detect the plant that is 99.9% accurate. Anthony Brusa, a postdoctoral research associate at the University of Minnesota, talks about the differences between Palmer amaranth and normal pigweeds and what they focused on for developing their test. In terms of the grower's concern, the, the whole thing with Palmer is it's much more aggressive. Uh, it produces far more seed and it can grow very rapidly. It can grow two inches a day under good conditions, which will let it easily overtop most of the crops that you're growing out there. So that's why we were so uh, focused on trying to figure out how to identify it correctly. So in order to develop our test, what we did was we designed a test that targeted specific uh, differences in genetic code that only Palmer has compared to the other related species. Brusa talks about the new test that they developed with Colorado State University. There are two testing options available to use. You can take just a leaf of a plant you suspect is Palmer amaranth, or you can send in the seed buds. The seed test is sensitive enough to find one Palmer amaranth seed in a pool of 200 potential samples. Yeah, so there's two ways to apply the test. One is if you have a plant that you suspect is Palmer, you can just take a leaf of that, send it into the lab, We'll pull DNA out of that and tell you what you have. So that, that's pretty straightforward. The one that uh, we spent a lot of time making sure we got uh, very good sensitivity on was the bulk seed testing. So if you look at Palmer seed, they're very, very tiny. They're about a millimeter. So think about the size of a poppy seed. Now imagine you have 200 of those and one of those potentially is Palmer. Our test is able to identify one out of 200 in a pool of seeds. The new test will give an increase in accuracy over the standard tests that are currently used in identifying Palmer amaranth. So the tests out there uh, were accurate, but we weren't sure exactly how accurate because the testing pool that they were compared against was fairly limited. So part of this test that we, uh, we did validation against a very large panel, we collected samples of pigweed from across the United States. We collected some from uh, Northern Mexico, which is part of the native range. We have samples from South America and a population from Africa as well. So we have the, the largest group that we could possibly compare against, and our test worked against all of those groups. The goal is to have the test commercially available for use by the end of 2021. This will mean it'll be ready for farmers to send samples in for the 2022 growing season. And so this was developed as a collaboration between University of Minnesota and Colorado State. So they're nailing down the last few uh, agreements regarding the licensing. But once all those decisions have been made, we'll be able to start licensing that out to private labs who are interested in running the test. And Colorado State University will be offering the service itself through one of their internal business units. 
And that should be before the end of this year. That's Anthony Brusa, postdoctoral research associate with the University of Minnesota. And we want to thank Dustin Hoffman with the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network in Des Moines, Iowa for that audio. And a couple other news items of note, the U.S. Department of Agriculture this week announced the availability of more than $330 million as part of the Pandemic Assistance for Producers program. The funding includes $169.9 million for the Specialty Crop Block Grant program, $75 million for the Gus Schumacher Nutrition Incentive Program grantees, and approximately $80 million in payments to domestic users of upland and extra-long staple cotton. The funding will aid in developing new markets for U.S. agricultural products, expand the specialty crop food sector, and the purchase of fruits and vegetables by low-income consumers. The USDA also announced plans for the Dairy Donation Program as established in the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021. The USDA launched the Pandemic Assistance for Producers initiative in March with $6.5 billion in available funding to address shortfalls and disparities in how assistance was distributed in previous COVID-19 assistance packages with a specific focus on strengthening outreach to underserved producers and communities in small and medium agricultural operations. And on Wednesday, the same day the aid was announced, Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack told House lawmakers the Department of Agriculture is ending the Farmers to Families Food Box program. Representative David Valadao, a California Republican, stated that although it wasn't a perfect program, the program provided families with healthy, nutritious food items grown here in the U.S., asking Vilsack what the USDA will do next. Vilsack said the USDA will continue to provide healthy food, but doing so through the most efficient system USDA has. Vilsack said during a House Appropriations Committee hearing there were problems with the program and that the intention is to take the best of the program and, quote, incorporate it into our traditional regular programs that are very efficient for food distribution, end quote. USDA announced new pandemic aid programs Monday to help make up for the Farmers to Families Food Box program. The program purchased U.S. commodities and food for distribution to the public. World Ag Expo Online is not just one week. We'll be here all year long with new information, seminars, links to exhibitors, and more. Mark your calendar to make sure you visit the show website every month. Want to get monthly reminders of updated news and information? Go to worldagexpo.org to sign up for the email newsletter. More than 600 online exhibitors coming from 48 states and 65 countries. Attendance is free for the online show throughout 2021. Just go to worldagexpo.org. Well, next up this week on Fast Line Fast Track, despite some of the volatility in the ag markets, cash basis is still strong in many areas of the country. And Jesse Allen is here to break it all down for us in this week's Market Talk Update. Jesse. Well, thank you, Brent. It's time for another Market Talk Update here on Fast Line Fast Track. And one of the things we've been watching amid the volatility volatility we've seen in the ag markets we've seen uh, the buying of the brakes as of late and we've seen uh, just a lot of volatile movement in the ag sector but one thing that has been continuing to firm up across the u.s is cash basis it's been really really strong pretty much no matter where you go in the country although some spots are stronger than others which is always just a, a given in, in those areas John Heimberg with Total Farm Marketing joined me on Wednesday's edition of Market Talk here this last week, and he mentioned a few things about cash basis and some tips to consider for farmers. Look at those summer basis levels. Look at that cash market. They continue to stay strong. 
And the futures market slid off, the cash market improved. You know, it's just a sign that there's some concerns out there regarding supply. I'm looking at summer basis levels for beans that are well over the market in some regions. And that just tells you that they are very concerned of where we could be. So, you know, we talked about corn finally getting the $6. To me, it's more been about when we finally get the $6. We're trying to get there this week. You know, same thing might be true with those old crop beans. Now we get back above 14, maybe we see some more money flow come in as long as the news stays friendly. We've been saying that beans should push up into the $15, $16 handle. You know, maybe over the next handful of weeks, that might be something that's on the cards, you know, especially, like I said, as long as the news stays friendly. I also asked John about ethanol as we look at corn, seeing more and more corn moving back to ethanol plants amid stronger basis there as well. And despite uh, lower ethanol production numbers and demand is going to be rising. Here's what John had to say about ethanol. You talk in the countryside, some of the strongest basis levels out there, what the ethanol plants are putting forward. And, you know, realistically, their margins are dramatically improved. You go look at the futures market uh, for ethanol, uh, futures on the on the board of trade. We're, we're we're trading at the highest level since December of 2014. Uh, so there's some good value there. At the same time, you got the feed component side that's there, adding value in terms of DDGs and coming off that ethanol product. You know, and then we're also just looking at a global market that may have some more export demand in it. You know, we were talking a little bit about or saw a little bit what Brazil was working on there. They're usually a sugar-based ethanol. They've moved to a heavier corn-based. Actually, corn ethanol was up 58% year over year last month. Uh, again, just showing signs that, A, sugar prices were high and they wanted to move some more bushels that way. Again, creating more demand uh, into a tight market. So that's probably helping out. You know, and then you just watch here in uh, the United States again. What's going on with those basis levels out into June and July? Those ethanol plants are trying to secure bushels because they know there's some profitability there. Stockpiles are at multi-year lows, not counting you know the drop from last year when we shut things down. And uh, it's a situation here that demand's improving, hopefully, as we continue to get into the summer months and see more summer driving, as well as the export side. You know, I said it last week, I still think ethanol could still be a little bit of a sweeper in terms of the demand side of the market going forward into the summer. And I also got some thoughts from John Heimberg on where this hong market sits currently. After we've seen some dips, we've started to see some buying renew once again. Here was John's thoughts on the hog market. Well, you know, when Monday came around, we had a technical reversal on that chart. We had June hit up a little over the 110 window, finished the day significantly lower, put a bit of a, what we call a, you know, bearish hook reversal into the charts. You know, we pushed down for another day. And then, like you said, the fundamentals actually really never went anywhere, but they kind of just showed up again as things got a little bit cheaper. Cash market is not going anywhere. The cash hog index is trading and it's going on its 12th consecutive week higher. Uh, so it shows you what's happening with the cash market. I think a lot of this is due to the fact that uh, the April contract is coming off on Friday. We're probably seeing some movement around out of that contract into the other positions. You know, now we'll see what happens. Can we get back through that reversal high at 110 and I believe it's seven and a half cents, just close above that. That'll negate another reversal on the hog charts and that points us higher. Now I'm still holding some targets up there. I'm in the 120 plus window on June hogs if the fundamentals stay active. And again, that's comments with John Heimberg of Total Farm Marketing joining me on Market Talk here this last Wednesday. 
This has been another Market Talk update for Fastline Fast Track in Nashville. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. And you can find Jesse's daily market updates at markettalkag.com and you can find him by searching Market Talk on Facebook. He also appears on the American Ag Network and you can hear him host Your Ag Today weekday mornings about 6.50 a.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, Rural Radio Channel 147. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, it's time for another installment of Bushels and Cents with our buddy the Hot Rod Farmer, Ray Bohax. Don't forget, you can check out all of his great multimedia content at FarmMachineryDigest.com. Welcome to Bushels and Cents, a weekly podcast from Farm Machinery Digest Radio, heard exclusively on Sirius XM Channel 147 Rural Radio. I am your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer. And never forget, it is not what you make, but what you keep that counts. It is important that you acknowledge how quickly your gasoline and diesel engines start, both cold and hot. It is an excellent qualifier of a pending issue. An extended crank time, even a second or two, on a EFI gas engine or common rail diesel can point to a fuel filter that is getting restricted or an electric fuel pump that is getting lazy. A diesel that cranks longer on its initial start may point to high resistance in the glow plugs, a weak glow plug relay, or a compromised intake air heater. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Visit FarmMachineryDigest.com where steel and soil meet. And don't forget, Ray Bohax has launched Farm Machinery Digest Radio on Sirius XM Rural Radio Channel 147. It airs each Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern and again on Sundays at 6 p.m. Eastern, so I hope you'll go and give him a listen. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, we head on over to the musical side of the house where we welcome in an artist originally from the Cincinnati area who received her musical education at prestigious Belmont University in Nashville, which has produced artists such as Brad Paisley and Trisha Yearwood. She's proven to be quite a student of the game, learning directly from artists such as Michael W. Smith and Cheryl Crow, and now she's here to talk about her career in new music. Emily Miller, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. How you been? Good, good. I'm staying busy. Uh, what have you been up to lately? Oh, just staying as busy as possible. I just moved um, into a new house here in Nashville. And um, so I've been staying busy with that, but just doing as many shows as possible and getting some new music out to everybody. Well, as we get things started this week, I want to share with you Emily Miller's first release. This one is called Aveline. Emily, tell us about this song. It's just a song about a girl that um, to the world seems perfect but um it's just it's really an anthem to just be your own self be your own type of perfect and don't worry about everybody else but this one's called abeline hope you'll enjoy
good stuff to kick us off tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you. So who is your Aveline? What was the, uh, what was the inspiration for that song? Well, that song came to me um, kind of out of nowhere, to be honest. Um, I, I feel like in this world, like we're all the time with social media being compared to other people and trying to be like other people. Um, I feel like we all fall victim to that. And um, I just one night was sitting down and started the name Aveline um, came to me and I, I'd never heard the name before. And I was just like, okay, well, maybe that's a cool kind of name. And so I just started writing the song and, um, kind of after that kind of approach, like trying to just be your own self and, um, and to be wanted in a society where it's kind of hard sometimes to feel that way. And then after I got done, um, writing the song, I, um, looked up, I was like, what's the name Aveline even mean? And I, um, Google told me that it means to be wished for or to be wanted. And it was kind of like the song wrote itself at that point then, because it, it kind of pretty much everything I was writing in the song about wanting to be your own type of Aveline and being your own perfect and not anyone else's perfect wrote itself. Yeah. Well, as we talk about often on this program, it's really interesting to see where inspiration comes from and when it strikes. And uh, it, it's great when it lines up like that, isn't it? Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Well, I tell you what, as we noted from the outset, you're originally from Westchester, Ohio, a rapidly growing suburb of Cincinnati. And I understand, like many of the previous guests on the show here, uh, that you got your start and your first taste of performance at an early age, age six for you. Uh, when you started studying piano. Yeah, yeah. My parents, um, when we moved to Westchester when I was seven, um, they, um, I think I was well, six or seven, one of the ages, um, they, uh, my mom threw me in piano lessons, me and my sister, um, in like an after school program at the new school. And, um, and so I had always sang at church, um, just growing up in youth choir and stuff like that. Um, but then she she put us in piano and I hated it and I did not want to practice. I didn't want to do anything because it was all classical based yeah. and I just wanted to learn how to play songs. At the time I wanted to learn how to play Hannah Montana songs and stuff like that. And, um, and so it was always uh, uh, an interesting fight for me to actually practice. I understand that you were also inspired by country hymns uh, while you were riding around the car growing up. Do you remember uh, which artists stood out to you and why? Oh, I, me and my sister love country hymns. Uh, that was my one thing. Like, I feel like Pandora is not that big of a thing anymore. Um, now that Spotify and Apple music and stuff, but back, back then, um, Pandora was huge. And, um, and we used to ride around in the car, listening to, uh, Randy Travis and Ralph Stanley and, mm. um, a bunch of them, um, playing like how great thou art and old rugged cross or just a few and just closer walk with thee are a few of my favorites. Um, and but yeah, they were they were awesome and a huge part of my upbringing. I tell you what, unlike a lot of artists who uh, kind of went from playing around their towns to hitting the bars on Lower Broadway or Riders Rounds, uh, your approach was a little more refined. You spent a lot of time taking private voice lessons and guitar lessons. Ultimately, uh, you talk about the the classics, putting yourself in, in uh, places such as the Cincinnati Aronoff, the Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music, Cincinnati Music Hall, uh, May Festival Choir, and uh, Hamilton Fairfield Symphony Orchestra. How did uh, those experiences shape you as an artist? 
they they taught me a lot and i i ultimately having that background has helped um my ability to prolong my singing i sometimes i'm singing four hour shifts sometimes i'm doing eight hours in a day and if i didn't have that classical training behind me um it would it, it wouldn't be a pretty picture at the end of the day that's for sure um but yeah it, it, i think class having that classical background kind of showed me where i did belong and that was in country music um knowing um the background of all of the songs and everything it was one of those things where i always tell people i'm too much of a hee-haw to do classical music they tried to get me at belmont um my first classical voice teacher they tried to get me to switch my major from commercial popular music to classical music and i had ultimately turned all of that down when i chose belmont um anyways and um and they were like we can get you jobs we can do this and I looked at them and I was like you know it's just it's not me and um and I but I think a lot of that truly shaped me as an artist just because I learned how to properly sing and different phrases and different melodies have come to me because of my classical training that might not have been there if I didn't have it uh-huh so in 2014 you graduate from Lakota West High School go Firebirds whoop, whoop. and you head off to college at Belmont in Nashville as a commercial voice major how did Belmont get on your radar and why did you choose to attend that school? I went to Belmont. There was a girl in my high school choir that was two years older than me. Um, and she went to Belmont for musical theater. And um, I remember I went to Nashville many times growing up when we went to CMA Fest with, on family vacations. And um, and so when I found out that this girl was going to a school in Nashville for music, I that's all that's how I found out about Belmont. I had no idea it existed before then. And um, and so I. I auditioned there and there was really no other option for me. I auditioned at Miami of Ohio and um, a few schools in Indiana. And um, I got full ride scholarships for those other schools. And, but I ultimately, I was like, you know what? Belmont, Nashville was the only place I wanted to be. And my mom and dad would not let me move down to Nashville if it was, if I didn't have college behind me doing it um, down there. And so I, I chose that route and I have, I don't regret a single day. Uh, how did that Belmont experience shape you not only as an artist, but prepare you for the business side of the music industry? Oh, it, it shaped me a lot. Um, I couldn't imagine not going to Belmont and coming to Nashville. And so many of my friends, they didn't do the whole college experience, but I feel like it shaped me to, fully understand the business side of it. And even if I don't know exactly what's going on, because this music business world is such a crazy world, um, even if I don't fully understand it, it helped shape me on how to speak to people, what is the right and wrong thing to do, how to pay attention if somebody's not treating you right. And ultimately just, it taught me, it gave me some great friends along the way that I still connect with. And it's that nice name that when if you tell people in Nashville, oh, I went to Belmont, that you automatically have more clout than you did before. And also opened the door for you to do some public relations work on the other side of the business. And that led you to some project uh, uh, with, with some uh, really iconic artists, including our friend Jeannie Seeley, uh, Kenny Rogers, Aaron Lewis, Mo Bandy, and Hank Williams Jr. How did you get into doing that? And what was that whole experience like for oh, you? That was a great experience. Um, it was, yeah, I, it was one of the biggest public relation firms. They are no longer in business, um, unfortunately. Um, but 
they, um, it was, I had somebody that I had met, um, at my time at Belmont, um, their dad was in the music business and, um, kind of set me up, um, with, um, a connection to, um, get a hold of the owner at the time. And, and so I interviewed and just, getting to work like I worked on all of Aaron Lewis's PR I worked with Jeannie Seeley's PR um for a long time and all of those artists and just there was times when Kenny Rogers would come in to the office and I got to go on his tour bus and just look at his tour bus it was one of those pinch me moments because some of these big artists that I grew up listening to all of a sudden I was working a part of their team and, and they would come in and say, hi, I remember Deborah Allen um, came in and um, I was wearing pink boots that day. And me and her had a whole conversation about boots and it was just, it was so much fun to just, I got to see the side of the human side of this art, the big artist and where people all the time think that, oh, they're not human because they're celebrities and this and that. I got to see the down to earth side of them and it, it was something I'll never forget. What did you take away from dealing with them that you can apply to your own career? How to be nice to people. And it it's it's crazy that there are mean people in this industry because there's so many nice people. You just got to chip away and find them. But I think I think that was the biggest thing is like they all had a unique story too. And it kind of taught me to be myself 100%. And, um, and if you've got something to say, to say it. Mm -hmm. So you're in Nashville uh, d doing the college thing, also trying to make a name for yourself as an artist. Uh, what uh, what kind of path did you put yourself on uh, from that standpoint? Where are you playing and uh, and uh, where are you going to try out new music? Um, I when I graduated, I started um, I, the next week I started playing and the honky tonks on Broadway. And um, I did that for about two years. Um, and it was a huge learning experience and i'm glad at some points to say that i'm no longer down there because it is very it's it's intense and it's grinding and it's it's mentally draining um being around um a lot of the people and the bookers and stuff down there i didn't have great experiences down there unfortunately um there i met some great friends along the way and um we kind of rally around each other and but uh but yeah when i wasn't on broadway way I was booking my own shows um, and playing wherever people would book me um, for whatever price they wanted to pay at the time and um, I started playing in South Carolina in eastern Tennessee Kentucky near far wherever you are I was playing yeah. and just to get um, on the road and I fell in love with it is that something that you see continuing here as things start to open up now Oh, yeah. And I, like I said, I love being on the road. I love seeing the country. I love meeting new people. I've met some of the most amazing people along the way um, that are now friends. And I only see them twice a year sometimes, but we keep in contact through Facebook and Instagram and stuff. And, um, and it's just, they, it, the, my favorite thing about being on the road is having those fans come turn into family and they keep up with you and they, they just want to love on you. They roll out the red carpet for us every single time we come. And, and it's just, it, there's nothing like it. And I'm so excited for things to start opening back up and to get to see friends again. What's the fan base look like for you in the Cincinnati area? Oh, I've, I've got great, great people up there. Um, my, I've been, 
I went to the same church my entire life up there. And so um, a lot of them, whether they're 90 years old or five years old, um, they've been following me faithfully and they'll come out to all the shows. They buy all the merch, they get everything. And um, they're very supportive. Well, and you mentioned church. That's been another uh, uh, a big place for you to, to really develop uh, yourself uh, as a worship leader. Yeah. Yeah. I started after my freshman year of Belmont, I started um, kind of touring around for say, um, and in the Cincinnati area playing for different churches and um, about once, twice, three times a month, sometimes I would go and um, sing four or five songs um, for the service. And, um, but, and I've been lucky I've done it at my own church, um, home church there. And um, yeah, it's, it's something that it's challenging for me um, because um, that's just like a whole different world. And, um, but it's fun and it's, it's rewarding um, to be able to give back. Is there a country, uh, uh gospel or, or hymns album in your future? Oh, you know, I would love that. And I know it would make my grandma's day if, if I got to do that. And so I would love that. Hopefully, hopefully soon. That'd be, that'd be awesome. Um, I haven't thought about it, but I'd love to, I, there's so many, there, to me, there's nothing like singing a hymn. And I, I, it's funny this last weekend um i was playing in the middle of nowhere kingston tennessee and um there was about 30 people at the bar we packed the place out um that's how many it holds is 30 people and um and they uh they requested old rugged cross and right before right before we started playing uh i started playing the song uh they were like sitting there cussing, like saying, shut up, do this and that. They were yelling at each other. And in the minute that I started playing Old Rugged Cross, that they were everybody singing along. And I was like, you know what? There's nothing better than this. I'm like, it, it's just, it's the best of both worlds. That's what it's all about right there. Yeah. Well, I'd say what something else you've dabbled in is bluegrass music. You were the lead singer for Belmont's Bluegrass Ensemble and been lucky enough to get some pointers from Tammy Rogers King of the Steel Drivers and Tim Watson, Kelly Garner, and Sandra Dudley. Any thoughts there of ever doing a bluegrass album? That'd be fun. I, I got to open for uh, Sister Sadie uh, two years ago, I believe, 2019. Um, and it's just I've I love bluegrass. I, anything that's toe tapping is right up my alley. And uh and but yeah, that was so much fun. It brought out a different part of my voice that I loved. It um and so it was more like the dolly side, I'd say. And um just and yeah, I mean I could I could see something in the future of doing that. Uh-huh. Who are some of your favorite bluegrass artists to listen to? Oh, I, um, Dale Ann Bradley was one of my favorite, um, and Rhonda Vincent mm. and, um, and then just like the old steel driver stuff. And it was so awesome to be able to work, um, with Tammy Rogers King because she, she's the backbone of the steel drivers. And just, we were there when she, they won their Grammy and, um, and everything. And it was just, it was an awesome experience. Well, I'd say what right before COVID hit, uh, things were really starting to take off for you. You know, you started out the show with Aveline, and that was released September 2019. It has more than 62,000 organic Spotify streams. That has to be a pretty good feeling for your music to be that widely accepted. Uh, you know, you really uh, set the the table with that one. 
Oh yeah, it it was it was one of those I I never would have thought he would ask me a couple of years ago when I was at Belmont if I would be releasing my own music and I would that seemed like a far fetched dream. It didn't seem like something that would ever be a reality. And then to have such a positive reaction um, to all the songs that I've put out so far um, has been really a um, crazy crazy thing. Well, you bring up a good point there because I'm sure that's something that, uh, you know, a lot of artists will pack up and move to Nashville, not really even knowing what the first step is. And uh, obviously you had some tutelage in it uh, going to Belmont and taking some of the classes that, that prepared you for that. But how did you go about setting up a team and putting the right people around you uh, to make sure that when you were ready to start putting together music, that, that you had the right production team, the right business people around you, and everybody that was going to make it a success for you uh, fr from the moment you decided to start recording music? Hi, a lot of it came from trial and error, if I'm being honest. Um, mm -hmm. I I met my publicist. I had interviewed for a, um internship at um, a company that she was working for at the time. And that's kind of how we connected. And then um, I ended up not taking the internship. And so we kind of fell apart, but we were on Facebook together. And um, and then a couple years ago, I was looking for a publicist and I, I knew that was the next step I needed to take. And, um, and I reached out to her and um, Bev is awesome. And she um, opened her arms wide open and has been a great cheerleader for me. And I love her dearly. And um, but then as far as like production and stuff goes, I came across my producer, Colt Caparoon, um, on Instagram, actually. And I just was I've been following him for a few years and I had friends that had used him and just liked what I heard. And he is one of those guys in town that knows a little bit about everything. And so anytime I have an issue, anytime, even if it's just a life thing that I need to help with, I call him up, text him. And he has always been an open arms for me too. And so luckily I have had some great, um, great experience and great people. There's been some not great experiences with um, companies that I won't work with again, but it's all part of trial and error for sure. Yeah. And that's a tough thing because there are a million different uh, uh, companies and individuals out there trying to tell you something and sell you something, but uh, they can't always back it up. Can they? No, they cannot. I tell you, you followed up Aveline with your next single, Dear Lonely, in November 2018. That has about 70,000 Spotify streams. Tell us about the inspiration behind that song. Dear Lonely is one of my most personal songs. Um, I wrote that song, um, I say, when I when I kind of hit rock, rock bottom. Um, I, it's a song about addiction, and um, I'm a firm believer that everyone in life um, has some sort of addiction, um, whether that's sex, drugs, alcohol. Mine happen to be loneliness, and um, and I feel like loneliness can be one of those things that really eats you alive, and um, mentally, physically, emotionally, everything. And um, one night, I was having a very emotional conversation with my mom and my sister. Um, and my mom told me, she was like, you need, you like, we can't help you anymore. Like you need to help yourself if you want to get out of this. And I was making some poor choices. And, um, and so I sat down, like it was like two o'clock in the morning and I sat down and this song just poured out of me. And, um, I, I don't know where it came from. Um, I the only person that I knew it came from was God. And because every line, every syllable of this song is my story and my truth and my struggles. And I am a big advocate of sharing those 
ups and downs with my fans and um because i hope that sometime someday and and even today that that'll help somebody along the way so for anybody who may be going through anything similar to that right now how did you get through and where are you right now in it oh i'm doing a lot better um i i've surrounded myself with a lot of good people here in nashville and um a lot of that came from college days and being at the point where I didn't felt like I didn't have any friends. And I think the biggest, um, the biggest struggle is making friends in a new town when you don't know anybody. And I didn't know a soul when I came here and I'm, I'm an introverted extrovert. So if I know, if I know you, I'll talk your ear off, but if I don't know you, I'm kind of quiet at first. And I think that was a big, um, a big issue for me when I came to Belmont was that I didn't know anybody. And so I was kind of went back into my shell. Um, but I really just surrounding yourself with people that are your cheerleader. My, my few best friends, um, they know, um, they, we check in on each other and I see them as much as I can. And they've just, um, they've helped a lot and they've, they always are giving me the honest feedback that I need. And that's what I'm grateful for. And it's helped me tremendously. Well, before we go any further this week, let's hear this one. This is Dear Lonely, Emily Miller on Fast Line Fast Track.
What a powerful song. Oh, it, it still gives me the same feeling every time I hear it. Uh, wh where do you record your music? Um, I record it. It's um, Dark River Studio um, in its Colt Cap Room, my producer's studio, um, out in Nashville. Okay. Yeah, actually, I'd say what? Uh, that's top-notch stuff right there. The production, vocals, the whole nine yards. Oh, well, thank you. The players, everything. That's, that's, that's excellent stuff. Take me behind the scenes, if you don't mind a bit, uh, on your songwriting process uh, and what that looks like for you. Do you do a lot of scheduled writes or, or uh, is it more spontaneous or a bit of both? How, how does that work for you these days? It's a little bit of both, um, but I mainly, I'm one of those people that songwriting comes to me at the most random times, and so I usually just play around that kind of thing. Um, it's very spontaneous. Sometimes inspiration just strikes, and, and I'm sitting down, and it all comes out, and if I get a half of a song down, I'll call somebody up to help me finish the rest of it um, the next day or something, or sometimes that night, and so it really, it comes comes and goes wherever um wherever it comes uh, are you much of a co-writer I, I try um i i've written a lot by myself um and i find that like my most personal songs obviously because you're you can trust yourself um came um by myself um but uh i love writing with my buddy drake um who i wrote with my upcoming song that's coming out um we co-wrote it together and i've got some other ones but yeah i i love co-writing and just gra grabbing other people's inspiration well you kicked off 2020 in a big way when your song prince charming was released on valentine's day and was chosen to be the theme for the youtube series renee's bridal takeover which also can be seen on kentucky abc affiliate wtvq how was that song selected for that honor you know what? Your guess is as good as mine, to be honest. <laughs> I uh, I had played a show in, um, I forget where, somewhere in Kentucky, um, in out in eastern Kentucky, and the bride, um, Renee's Bridal Takeover, was giving away a wedding to a bride, and, um, and I guess the bride that won the wedding um, she was a fan of mine and she had remembered me and wanted to find me for her wedding. And so, um, me and Renee got in contact and she called, which Renee is awesome. Um, she has designed dresses for the Duggars and a ton of other people. I've been on say yes to the dress and everything. She's awesome. Super great and sweet lady. Um, and she called and she was like, I want to use this song. And I was like, well, perfect. Cause I have a wedding song that you can, that you can use. And I wrote Prince Charming for, um, one of my good friends from home, um, that we grew up in church together. I wrote it for her wedding, um, to her, with her husband. And, um, and I played it, I've played it a million weddings since, but that's really how it came about. It was just all random. All of a sudden, one day I'm getting a phone call and the next day I'm in the TV show. Well, let's have a listen to what we're talking about here, shall we? This is Emily Miller with Prince Charming on Fast Line Fast Track.
Just another absolutely beautiful true country song from Emily Miller. Oh, thank you. I know COVID has been a big challenge for so many artists, and uh, uh, I'm sure that, that has posed its uh, challenges to you as well. How have you used this time, though, to uh, really work on your career and do the things that you can do now that set you up for success on the other side of this? Oh, I think a big thing is just to keep hustling and um, I've still been writing and um, getting music ready, getting the EP that's going to be out in the next few months um, ready um, and just working on yourself. I think the biggest thing like the road, can, it can be draining as fun as it is. It can also be draining. And so having this time off. Um, and over the last year to, to, from consistent, like touring has allowed me to focus on myself and just grow as a human being. And, um, I think that's a big thing. Um, but I just, I just keep going and hope that we're on the other side soon. So what does the rest of 2021 hold in store for you? Um, I think just releasing music and getting little projects out here and there, continuing to write, get on the road as much as possible, trying to fill my schedule up um, as much as possible and hope that these venues start opening back up. Now you talk about an EP, any kind of timetable for that? To be honest, not really. Um, it's pretty much done. Um, we're finishing up the last song. So I would assume in the next couple months um, it would be out. So hopefully um, by May or June we'll, we'll be rolling. What are some of your long-term goals for this business? Um, I think just continuing to tour and um, and hopefully uh, get to continue to open for bigger artists and get my name out there, get my the doors to open. And um, but I think that's a big, big thing for me is I just I love being on the road and love meeting people. And so um, to just continue to do that. If you couldn't be performing, what would you want to do? Ooh. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe I, I love talking. And so maybe like a public speaker or like I always used to say I go to law school, but I took the first political science class in <laughs> government class at Belmont. Nope, not for me. So uh, I always wanted to be the next Judge Judy um, when I was growing up. But um, so probably probably like a public speaker or something, something in front of people, just inspiring people. Any plans to do any kind of uh, video projects or podcasts or anything like that to support your music? Yeah, I'm actually going to be filming um, my first music video here in the next couple weeks for um, our song coming out tonight. And uh, I'm extremely excited about that. I've never done a real music video before. And so I get to test out my acting chops and see how that goes. There you go. Are you going to do that in Nashville? Yes. Yes, we are. So, so what's the least favorite part of the music business for you? Social media, to be honest. I, I... I just feel like it's such a draining thing and I feel like over the years that has been my big issue um, with my struggles in life have been um, comparing yourself and just not not getting the numbers you want not the algorithms are constantly changing and so it's hard to reach a crowd and um i i know like even last week facebook changed and now it feels like i'm starting over from scratch and trying to reach people and it makes it frustrating when you're releasing new music and algorithms don't allow you to keep up with that and so i think that's the the worst part of the music business for me is just trying to i love connecting with um, fans and friends and everything but the content and the ability to reach people has been 
a draining struggle. What's your favorite part of the business? On being on the road. I, I love, I love traveling and just, like I said, going to see friends and in states that I wouldn't normally visit in towns that I've never heard of before. And, um, and just seeing the country, cause there's a lot of beautiful places in this country that it's just, it's amazing what God can do. You've had the opportunity early on in your career to be around a, a lot of really seasoned veterans and, and bright people in this business. What's the best piece of career advice that you've received? I think something that stuck with me, um, a producer that I um, used to work with, um, who is a great friend um, still, and he always used to say, good people get work. And I think that's something that if for any industry um, that we need to remember is that to be just be a good person and um good people will forever get the work even if it doesn't seem like it sometimes in the end good people always win out how do you keep yourself focused uh, on your goals to make sure that you achieve what you set out to, to achieve it's it's hard um i i just my mom is a big um pusher of mine. And she, I, I, sometimes I call it nagging, but she's only trying to be supportive. And, um, and, but she's constantly be like, well, what are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? When sometimes I haven't even thought of what's next. She helps me think, oh, you need to keep thinking. And I think that's the big thing for me is to just keep pushing because, you know, we always write down, um, I know like my publicist and stuff, she has us write down goals and you at the time, they seem so far-fetched. And then you look back on them a couple years later and you've checked all of them off. And so I think to just keep having goals and keep having lists of things that you want to do and accomplishing those slowly. Well, you mentioned the new single, Take the Trash Out. It's a big departure from your previous singles. Tell us about this one. Uh, this song is, uh, it, it's 100% me. And I've always been a sassy soul. And um, I've always been high energy. And um, I've been compared to Miranda Lambert many times in my life. And like a combination of Miranda Lambert and Jennifer Nettles. And I just, I, I've always had a lot of energy. And I, this song is just the sass that I need um, as an artist and that I need as a listener too. Like this song I can jam to and not, not have to worry. I love rolling my windows down in my car and just jamming to this song. And, um, but yeah, this, it, it's exciting. I had, um, he's like 12 time or 11 time fiddle player of the year, Michael Cleveland. Um, there's yeah. a, like a documentary on him um and he was able to play fiddle on the track and it's just it's so exciting because the fiddle makes the song and it's just got that driving edge that like if i'm working out or if i'm just driving around wanting to have an angsty day or something i listen to take the trash out well as we wrap things up this week let's hear the new one from emily miller this is take the trash out on fast line fast track
Some high energy music right there from Emily Miller. And I hope you go download that wherever you download your music, uh, buy it and put a few bucks in her pocket. It's great stuff there. Thank you. Yes. Go, go find it. I'm excited about it. Well, Emily, thank you so much for taking the time to join us tonight here. Before I let you go, let everybody know where they can go and follow your career and find your music and, uh, keep up on your tour schedule and everything like that. Yeah, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Um, I'm, my website is emilycmillermusic.com. Um, I keep up with as much as I can and I love talking to people. So go give the page a like. Hop over there from here and check her out. But Emily, thanks again for joining us. And we'd love to have you come back anytime you want to share new music with us. For sure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, we want to thank you for joining us this week. And we want to thank our musical sponsor, the Ernest Tubb Record Shop for 417 Broadway in the heart of downtown Nashville, Tennessee. It's springtime on Lower Broadway and the perfect time to take in some tunes at one of the nearby establishments like Robert's Western World, then drop in to buy some new tunes at the Ernest Tubb Record Shop. They have a great selection of vinyl, CDs, and merchandise, and if they don't have it, I know they'll find it for you, so stop by and say hi and tell them you heard it on Fastline Fast Track. Well, have you had the opportunity to check out the all-new Fastline.com yet? If you're in the market for any type of farm equipment or heavy construction equipment, head on over to Fastline Line.com and check out the equipment locator with the revamped price comparison tool featuring the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. Again, that's FastLine.com. And while you're on the website, make sure you sign up for the print catalog for your state or region. It's still being delivered directly to your door, and it's still a favorite resource of farmers and ranchers across our great country. And don't forget to subscribe to the FastLine Fast Track podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Deezer, Audible, and Radio com and be sure to hit us up on all those socials facebook twitter instagram linkedin and youtube well it's time for us to get on out of here so until next time it's brent adams saying y'all come back and bring along a friend you've been listening to fast line fast track presented by fast line media group to learn more about fast line's customer focused marketing solutions visit fastlinemediagroup.com and check out our brand websites fastline.com BigAg.com and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at Brent.Adams at FastLine.com.